her an outline for this morning. I thought it would be good to pause. Uh, two times a year we have uh, communion on the first Sunday of the month and get a chance to have our children be a part of that, provide some opportunity for them to learn about it ahead of time. And, and so I thought uh, before we jump back into our Genesis series next week, I thought today would be a good day to pause and to think about unity. And so this is a, a great passage, Ephesians 4. Uh, gives us a lot of material to think about. We could probably do two or three Sundays on this. We'll put it into one just to keep things moving. But I hope that a little bit of a break from our our plot and the way that the history of Genesis is unfolding will give us a little bit of a chance to say, hey, let's focus in today just on a specific topic. I want to ask you this morning, does anybody in the room have what they call a self-cleaning oven? Anybody have one of these? Do you ever use it? Like, does it really clean itself? I'm seeing a few heads nodding. Uh, you'll have to tell me about that. Maybe you can sell me on one of those the next time I need to buy an appliance. Uh, anybody have a self-cleaning kitchen? No? Nobody has a self-cleaning kitchen. <laughs> I see uh, a wife pointing to her husband and <laughs> uh, saying yes. Uh, this is the way it should go. I won't bail anybody out and embarrass you in church. All right, but... Uh, the reason I'm asking about household chores is not to make you dread going home this afternoon <laughs> and be confronted with things that need done, uh, but it, I don't know how it is with you, but th- these things are not optional. I always tell our children, you see that pile of dishes right there in the sink? It's not going to put itself into the dishwasher. You know that? Like Your room is not going to clean itself. It's not going to happen. And so in, in, in family life or in functioning in an apartment or a home or wherever we happen, uh, happen to live, uh, we would say that those things are not optional. I wish the bills paid themselves. I wish all those things happened uh, just sort of magically, uh, but it doesn't. It, it's not optional. And so the, the first thing I want to say this morning about unity, uh, according to this passage, is it is in no way of the Holy Spirit this morning, that unity among believers is an option. We uh, teach at the foundation of our church, we put in our doctrine that we believe the Holy Scriptures are the guide to living, and so we encourage obedience. And so when we are confronted uh, with something that is so direct, verse 3 says, be eager uh, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It doesn't just say maintain the unity. It talks about an eagerness. Paul isn't just laying out instructions. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy. And so when we see words like urge and eager, they describe our approach They describe our our willingness. What is God doing in us? No matter what we see on the page, I want to start off this morning by saying that it is not optional that we are united with other questions. I get overwhelmed. Sometimes I'll say I have enough time. I have a spare 45 minutes or an hour and... Uh, I'm going to go on Netflix and I'm going to find some show 
that I'm going to watch some documentary. And what happens is you get overloaded with all of these options that come onto the screen. And there'll be times that I end up scrolling so long that I'm out of time to watch anything, and I just put the thing down and say, well, forget it. I'm not going to do that. So many options in our world today, uh, there, there really are. You think about cars, you think about appliances, you think about clothing, you think about anything that you can buy. Uh, so many, so many options that are out there. This is not the case when it comes to unity. So... Uh, it's also helpful, I, I don't know if you have heard this, and I'm not, if you've struggled with this line of thinking, I want to encourage you, I'm not here to, uh, to, to lift somebody up so we can laugh, but uh, you'll, you'll hear this from time to time, well, I don't need to go to church, I don't need to be around other Christians, I don't need any of that, I just need me and uh, my God and maybe this message that is on the radio, and so the question that I have when you get to a passage like this is, is who are you going to unify with? Yourself? Your radio? Your TV? And I don't mean those to be funny. I mean those really to be challenging. We see in Scripture that when we are saved from our sins, just a couple of chapters before this, uh, Paul lays out, to the Ephesians, the great reminder of our faith and how it's established that we are saved by grace. Uh, by faith, we enter into the promises of God because of what Jesus did. And when we do that, we are not just saved to ourselves in an individual relationship. Paul makes this abundantly clear. He's writing a letter to a group of Christians, and he tells them to be unified to each other. If the whole goal was to be by ourself before God, then Paul would lay off all of this talk about how to get along a little better and how to be unified. In Revelation, we see before the throne a mass of people. We see a mass of people. We are saved into one body. In the Old Testament, God saved the nation of Israel. He called them out. He chose them. He chose not a collection of individuals. He chose a nation. So, so let's get that vision this morning that we are saved into the body of Christ. And I don't mean just a local church. I mean the worldwide body of true believers in Jesus here, near, and far. Praise the Lord for that. I put up on the screen this morning Deuteronomy 6, commandment. We're going to get to a few more verses later in this chapter uh, as we go along this morning, but this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules. The Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. You'll see the rest of that thought there. Uh, God makes commandment. You, your son, your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that you, your days may be long. Powerful stuff as we think about commandment, not an option to go and do this. And we'll see uh, some other ways that Deuteronomy 6 pairs up with our, our teaching here in Ephesians 4 about unity. The first three chapters of Ephesians, if you've never read the book before, are high in what we call doctrine. They're rich in teachings of the Christian faith. These are the realities. These are the things that God has done. These are uh, the things that are worthy of celebrating and how he has worked and been at work. 
And then in chapter 4, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord therefore, transitions us to three chapters that, that touch on almost every area of life that we live. Emotions that we feel, relationships that we have. And, and when it comes to unity and walking worthy of the calling to which we've been called, not an option. Okay, I also want to challenge you to see that if, if we are going to be unified, we can't ignore the language of the Bible, we can't ignore the language of this passage, it will take intentional commitment. Look here in Leviticus 19, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. How many think that sounds really natural? That's not natural for us to do that. It's natural for us to carry the grudge. It's natural for us to grumble about our neighbor or hate them. It's natural for us to be divided. That's the way that uh, we normally would do things if we have a problem. This is God's commandment to his people in the Old Testament, and it shows something powerfully different. It shows unity. Look here, uh, these words are echoed uh, by our Lord in Matthew chapter 22. They come to Jesus, they want to know what is the greatest commandment. He actually gives them two, I'll read 37 through 40, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord uh, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, these are commandments. Again, no option, just like Ephesians 4, which says to do this. But in, even if we decide to obey, it takes an intentional commitment. I want to get into some of the specific language here. Verse 1 says, walk. Walk in a manner worthy of of the calling. Verse 2, bearing with one another. And then verse 3, which we've highlighted a couple times this morning, maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Seven times in Ephesians, Paul uses the language of walking. It's a lifestyle that we walk with the Lord, that we walk worthy of the calling. He has called us, we respond with intentional commitment. So this type of unity, uh, I got a definition here for bearing with one another, could be, could be characterized as this, positive love to those who irritate, disturb, or embarrass. Wow. Unity requires bearing with somebody. That doesn't sound easy. It doesn't sound like it's just going to happen. I'm going to bear with my fellow believers near and far. And so if we're supposed to do these things, if we're supposed to maintain the unity of the Spirit, it takes an intentional decision. Why is that? Because it's easier not to do any of this, isn't it? It's easier just to mail it in, 
Get yourself a Hallmark calendar that has nice little platitudes on it, make you feel better about yourself, and ignore everybody. It's easier to do that. The Christian life invites us into a, a challenge, into an adventure, by which we get to be unified with people who may not be anywhere near our perspective, may not be like ourselves at all. And, and that's the, the beauty of what, what we're called into. Am I the only one this morning, as we're thinking about how this is landing, that, that might just struggle sometimes after a conversation to think, boy, I really said too much. I really shouldn't have said that about that person. I, that didn't come out the right way. Am I the only one who might struggle with, with serving somebody or, or meeting a need for somebody that I don't really like very much? Am I the only one tempted with how good it can feel to just be right while others get proved wrong? Am I the only one who sees the difficulty in our society with everybody wanting to be right or in the majority or the ones with power? See, unity in the church, unity that that Paul calls us to in the body, it's, it's none of these things. And why? Because it's not God. Did you catch this as our passage was read this morning? It it isn't feel-good unity. It's not a pep talk or just a good challenge. Unity really is about God. It reflects who He is. When we're called to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, why? Verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So let me get this straight. There's one Spirit. There's one Lord who is Jesus. It's his title in Scripture. And there's one God, Father. There's one. One God. Now, uh, I want to see this. I told you we come back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Our God is, our God is one. And you might scratch your head this morning listening to this and think, how in the world can God be one when there's one Lord and one Spirit and one God who's the Father over all? Well, which is it? Is it Father, Son, or Spirit, or, or something else? Like, what is happening? The fancy word for this is the Trinity. That God exists in three persons who are equal in their substance, but different in the way they show themselves and different in the way that we as humans experience it. So God is one God and he is completely unified. There is a love between the three persons of God that keeps them perfectly unified. Now that's mind-blowing. Stop and think about this for a minute. How long has God been around? Forever. Has there ever been a conflict among Father, Son, and Spirit? You mean to tell me that forever Father, Son, and Spirit have got along? Pick your two favorite people, go on a road trip for 24 hours, and tell me if one day you can be absent of conflict. 
They have done this forever. There is unity in who God is. I hope that our hearts this morning are just simply drawn upwards. I hope there's part of you that just wants to burst forth in praise that our God is one and He is glorious and He is unified. I'm okay right now if you're scanning chapters 1 through 3 to remind yourselves of some of those glories that are in there. Go back and meditate on some of them later, this afternoon or, or, or throughout this week. Do that. Part of this is, is our worship of God. This isn't just a, a commandment and a practical outworking of unity. It's because unity is who God is. When we are becoming more like God, we are going to become more unified. We'll become more humble. Verse 2, humility and gentleness and patience. When the Holy Spirit brings these things about in us, it's designed to make us represent God better. It's not just a little bit of self-help for the day. It's our soul connecting with the eternal and unified God and becoming more like Him. And so therefore, our approach to each other as we grow in our faith and as the Spirit gives us more of a mature heart, our ability to unify with each other should happen. I hope that lets you off the hook a little bit if you feel a little bit overwhelmed about how to unify. It's not up to you. God will help. And so I want us to absorb these words today. I want you to imagine you're at your home. Uh, the mail comes. They're not much good in the mail anymore unless you ordered something from Amazon. You're waiting for it to come. You got the tracking and it's supposed to get there. And Well, I don't know if these people had the Amazon tracking number for when Paul's num letter was supposed to arrive, but imagine Paul's letter to the Ephesians arriving and it's being shared and they see this and they get to this part and it says be unified. And don't just be unified like a, a parent telling a child to get along with their siblings or their friends. No, be unified because this is who God is. To His glory, He will help you and He will change you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We shall love Him, shall love the Lord our God, heart, soul, and all of our might. Our unity reflects God. So let's be challenging a little bit this morning. Let me ask a couple questions. What if you want more unity and somebody isn't really acting like it? What if somebody isn't acting in humility and gentleness and patience? What do we do? We're, we're ready to forgive them, but they won't forgive us. All they see is all of our faults and things that are wrong with us, and they won't listen. What do we do? Do we give up on unity? Do we bail out? Say, well, I tried that. Thanks, Paul, for your letter, but so-and-so's just being stubborn, and so I'm going to give up right now. Well, let's keep seeing how, how Paul un unfolds this letter because after verse 6 where he says, One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. For those of you that have been hoping for a little bit of time to focus on yourself this morning, we're going to get a little glimpse in verse 7, just a little bit for a minute. You can think about yourself. All right? I give you permission because the text does. Look. But grace was given to each one of us, each one of us. So we get to think about ourselves for a minute. 
according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Unity is founded on that grace. What this means is that you and I individually are going to each have our own makeup, our own, not like things we put on our face. All right, I'm just talking about what makes us up as people. We're going to have our own abilities. We're going to have our own backgrounds, experiences, families, different structures, employment. And, and what it means is, is that we, we have different gifts. Gifts that are given to us supernaturally by Jesus. And these gifts are designed to, as we find out in Scripture, build each other up. But uh, what we find out in this verse is that Jesus is the one who is in control of all of our differences. And what is the word that is present? Well, it's the big, bold, underlined word on your outline. The word is grace. How does Jesus put up with us when all we can do is see somebody else's faults and we can't see our own? When we're being stubborn, when we're not being very unifying... How does he put up with us? How does he still say, I have given you gifts and I have a plan for your life? How does it say? It says, grace. How did we ever come to faith in the first place? Grace. Something that we didn't deserve. So how are we supposed to treat another believer who's being obstinate and stubborn and won't listen and won't change? Just like God stuck with you over the long amount of time, if you're like me, sometimes it's a long time until something will become uprooted and change. If God sticks with us, shouldn't we do the same with each other? If we're supposed to become like God and words like humility and patience and bearing with one another are on the page, we should see that that's how God treats us. And then we should be challenged to say, this is what unity is going to cost. I may have to stay right with somebody and still love them, even though they're not changing quite as quickly as I would like them to do so. That's a challenge. But even the effort that it takes to do that, we don't have it. And that's why the role of the Holy Spirit's presence, and that's why the emphasis on grace and Jesus being in control of it really, really helps. This is the grace to say that, uh, like other places in the Bible, confrontation may be needed. We may need to call somebody uh, out or meet with them and say, I'm not certain about this in your life right now. I'm not certain in the way that you're acting. I'm not certain in the way that you're talking about so-and-so. And we can do these things and we can exchange these things and be real with each other in, because we value unity. We value each other's maturity. Do you have anybody in your family who fusses over food? Who really just wants it to be right all the time? Want to get it right? Come on. right? Raise your hands if you have these people in your family that say, right? I just want the food to turn out well and I'm fussing about it. And you have somebody that does that? Okay? A few heads are nodding, a few smiles on faces. I like that. We have one of those people. My mother-in-law is a wonderful cook. And she will never, ever take credit for anything that she bakes or that she makes. Oh, it's a little bit dry. Oh, it's a little bit this. Oh, it's a little... So I just started agreeing with her. I'm like, yeah, you're right, Sherry. It's terrible. You know, this is miserable. Yeah, it's the worst you've ever made. 
You know, that she fusses, and I think that's a good thing. She wants her ability to make others happy at the meal, she wants it to be as good as it can be. She doesn't sit around as a cook and stand on one foot and shove the weaker cook out of the way and say, you know what, I'm just better than somebody today, so I'm glad for that. What if that was our approach to unity? Oh, I'm just glad I'm better than somebody. It's making me think. I hope that we can be challenged today in showing grace. We've received grace. We've received the gift of payment for our sins before God. His name is Jesus. We're going to celebrate communion in a few moments. And it's the most amazing thing that's ever happened in the history of our world is that Jesus took our place and died on a cross for us. That is God's free gift to us. And what it's designed to do is to unify us. Believe it or not, even though the election isn't until next year, it's in full swing. We're going to be challenged as believers. Can we unify? Our default position in our world and the use of social media and the way media presents things is division. Find people that that hate each other the most and celebrate them. Because why? People keep getting sucked into that. If you're having a hard time unifying, then then turn the news off. If you you can't love somebody very well, get back to the basics in prayer and say, thank you, Lord, for, for dying in my place. Humble me. Give me this spirit and outlook toward other people in my, in my family or my workplace or my school or my street. The practical applications of this would, would go on and on. I'll let you draw where, where yours are. I want to share from James chapter 2 as, as we close today and then we'll get ready to prepare for communion. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself you're doing well, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For you said, do not commit murder, also said, do not, adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. We've received mercy from God. Our judgment, our willingness to unify should reflect the same mercy and not nitpick the sins of others before we apply the same truths to ourselves. Let's be believers in a a local body who seek to maintain the unity of the Spirit, not just here, but with our brothers and sisters in other local churches or uh, near and far churches as well. I pray that God would give us a heartbeat for unity with those that we do interact with, but also uh, with other churches as well that are on the same mission and striving toward the same goal that are a part of the same body.
I want to lead in a time of prayer. Ask the Spirit to, to work and give Him just a little bit of space to help some of these truths land. As we approach communion today, this is our challenge. How do we contribute to unity? How do we contribute to disunity?